about funny stuff. Serious about food. Serious about anything that I'm in the mood for. Serious. Let's get serious. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Let's get serious. Hello, hello. This is Kendall Bruns. Uh, you're listening to Let's Get Serious podcast. Today, my guest is Sean Smith, the man behind Sean and Moles, along with his wife. Yes, yes. Exactly. Although she is not here. No, she is not here. But um, but I it, it would be is it, is it correct to say it would be remiss to I'd be remiss. You would be would remiss. Be, I'd be remiss to not mention. It might also be remiss. Let's just at the very beginning address that. Yeah. You have this company called Shawnimals <laughs> that's run by yourself. Yep. But also my wife Jen. Your wife Jen. Mm-hmm. But it's not Sean and Genimals. No, it's not. That would be even more complicated and convoluted of a name. Has that been addressed? Uh, we've, yeah, we, we've definitely, I think we've addressed it. Okay, good. Okay, so uh, Sean has been kind enough to join me here today to talk about Seanimals, which for people who might not know are, um, well, how would you describe what Seanimals is? Well, there's kind of two things. Seanimals is a company where character design studio so basically, we're able to create all sorts of uh, cute and or weird characters and make toys based on them. Seanimals is also like the, the umbrella of all of the creatures that exist in our world. So there's the product, but then there's just the characters that exist. And that's right. you know, broken up into like 22 or 23 different countries. 22 or 23 different countries that the characters are from. Mm-hmm. And there are... Hundreds, I think it said on your website there are over 450 different yeah. characters. About 450. About. Yeah. That's not an exact count. For, uh, like, when yeah, was four, the last Seanimals census? That's, we're supposed to do one every six months. No. Um, I think there's 437 or 438 that are listed in, uh, in, as part of Seanimal Land, but then there's some auxiliary characters that are variants that probably bump it up just around or over 450 okay so that's why the about yeah or a, because because yeah. sometimes it's hard to say is it really it's like yeah you have a uh you have a baker ninja but then you have a baker ninja that doesn't have his like full insulated gear on right and is it really a different character or is it just a subtle variant so how should exactly. we count that and then in other case it is more clear and then um so the we ninja hmm. and there's so one of the categories, I guess, that, or is it a country? Ninja Town is a place. It's a place, but it's populated by ninjas. Yes, we ninjas and various other and, kinds. And we of ninja is one of your most popular characters, right? One of I would say things the, you're most the, well known the most, for, the right? most, yeah. But in addition, there are. Uh, Mustaches, mustachios, mm-hmm. mustachios. Is that the proper term? That, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, there are hug things, huggies, huggies. Yeah, there are. Not to be confused with with the diaper, right? No, not your. The, your Have you had any huggies, issues with that? The, <laughs> the sponsor of your podcast and Shawnimals <laughs> has 
also invented Huggies. Yes, that would be awesome. And that's how we can run our business. It's just residuals from the name. You could probably put a Huggy on a Huggy. Uh, someday. And think about that. Yeah. Because that could be taken two ways. That's the, that's the five-year plan. Yeah. Um, so... But there's all there's just like a tremendous amount of yeah characters. there's 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 just and then you know some of of all the characters you know definitely Ninja Town, uh, Mustachio Territory, Hot Dog Kingdom, Foodlandia, Profe- uh, the uh, Professor Food. Island, um, those those are the countries that are most developed and then from there some of the characters like um, N- New Hugland, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is a bit developed but it's mostly like. Uh, their pants characters so in that way it's like i love ninja town because we can go crazy with story and we can go it's good versus evil but then with pennsylvania it's just sort of like there's really not much to say it's just this ridiculous land of pants and they can Mm -hmm. sort of exist and maybe someday we'll go down that road and we'll figure that out but for now they're just kind of funny funny pants characters and on shanimals.com where -hmm. you can learn about all these things all of the things there's a map that shows so these characters all exist in a world together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, there are there are no real. There's there's really only one. I mean, other than my artwork, I you know I I come from a studio arts background, so there's, I do drawings and paintings and that sort of stuff. Um, but in terms of of Shawnimals, there's really only one other sort of non Shawnimals thing that I've done that really isn't connected. And that was totally radish with this crazy farmer and these magical radishes and stuff. So that mm-hmm. really wasn't connected to Shawnimals at all. Okay. Why not? Um, it was just was it uh, like a timing thing or was it, uh, it was just like conceptual. an ex- conceptually. It just, it was an extension of it. And, and then I realized it really didn't have anything to do with Shawnimals mainly because this farmer character was human. Mm-hmm. Um, well, human, more human than anything else I've done. And in that way, it just didn't really make sense because there's no, no other humans Right. You know, even even Professor Fliggins isn't a human, which is interesting. I mean, you bring up a lot of really interesting <laughs> existential questions yeah. because, you know, is a ninja human? Right. Exactly. You know, that's something we can talk about. Um, We've thought about that specifically, <laughs> <laughs> and so. But I want to kind of go back, give some more background, like go back to the beginning and. Mm-hmm. T- tell sort of a chronological story in, in a way. Sure. But um, before we do that, I want to give, can we, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I don't know what happened, but something dramatic happened yeah. <laughs> for the listeners. Just know something dramatic happened, but we're moving on. Um, uh, the Wii Ninja. Mm-hmm. Can we, how would you describe visually what a Wii Ninja is. Uh, this is something that, like, the Wii Ninja as, is is the probably the best representative of the aesthetic that I, I've developed over the years. Um, the idea stemmed from, um, you know, a lot of the stuff is pop culturally inspired. So whether it's video games or or comic books, and, and I'm, I'm not talking about like, like, like specifically inspired by something, but generally mm-hmm. just this growing up with this stuff and, and realizing that, like, I always go back to Mega Man a lot because Mega Man has this, so many different characters, some of which you never interact with. They're just mm-hmm. kind of flying by. Some are enemies, some are allies, etc. And I, I, I always think about those kinds of uh, experiences when I was a kid and just how goofy and fun it was that 
this land existed full of these different characters. And I think that that's totally manifested itself in what I do now. Hmm. But as far as the Wee Ninja specifically, thinking about that as, at first it was just sort of like, take, a, take the idea of a ninja and then um, distill it to some basic forms that would fit into the aesthetic that, was, that, that had existed for Shaunimals early on. This is 2003. And from there, it really was, well, I'm going to take this basic body shape without really thinking that it was weird that the arms would be outstretched all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it needs a mask. And the eyes can be simple because at that point we were using uh, the, the black plastic eyes that we now we still use today. Which is weird because, again, it's not as much, even though it is design and it's not, uh, it's not like traditional character design where you're, say, like a a character from a Pixar movie or something. Then they, they might look cool. They might be designed really well, but there's a lot more going on. There's a lot more expression. There's a lot more in terms of like uh, referencing humans, for instance, and, and so on. We ninjas, uh, very minimal exactly. design. It's almost, it's almost as minimal as it could be. And yeah. still be recognizable as what it is. Exactly. Which is a ninja. It, it, you, I don't think we could take any more away from it. Mm. To, to, and it would still be considered a ninja. It needs the mask, it needs the eyes, and it needs a body shape. And then beyond that, there's color of mask color, which is flesh, and then body color, which is black. And it's very um, curvilinear. Mm-hmm. Pudgy, if you will. Pudgy. And, it's, and it's most well-known, I'd say, for being a plush tradition. Yeah, no? I would say, well, uh, traditionally, it, that, that is true. But that's changing. But yeah, that's changing mainly because of our Nintendo DS game and then more recently the iPhone game. Right. So that, just because of the amount of exposure that that... But the initial, the initial, the initial was, was definitely... Plush, but now it's mm-hmm. okay. So, okay, I... And strangely, stickers, like the little three-inch yeah. sticker, because people can stick them anywhere. Right. Um... Okay, so if you're listening and you have not seen a Wii Ninja, go to Shaunimals or Ninja Town or whatever and look yeah, at one. Either because one. That, that would make the most sense. Yeah, the easiest, that would be way the easiest to be ninjatown.com just because it's right there. There, ninjas everywhere. Smack dab in the middle. Um, okay, so let's. Now with some very broad. Okay, uh, some broad reference. I want to go. I want to go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. But before that, one other reference. Yeah. I'm, I'm, sometimes I get really frustrated with my own <laughs> structural design of this podcast, <laughs> but I feel like in the long run, it's good that it's free form. Yes. But I just want to mention, as you're listening to this, as you're like, I gotta, besides online, I gotta have some, I gotta have some contact with these shanimals. I wanna, I wanna see this man himself. There's an opportunity coming up, Renegade Art yeah. Fair. It's actually called a uh, Renegade Craft Fair. Sorry, yeah. the ninth annual Renegade Craft Fair. Yeah, uh, in Chicago because I guess they do this in other cities as they well. They do now, yeah, all over the place. Um, is September 10th and 11th? Is that yeah. Saturday and Sunday? Saturday and Sunday, yeah, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. That's free, and it's on uh, Division Street in Wicker Park, 
and there's just like tons, uh, 300 some. It's yeah, it's people. it's it's amazing. There's so much stuff to see. They have bands, they have food, and of and, course the shops are still open along Division too. Right, right. So. And so you're going to be there, yeah. uh, selling your wares. And, yeah, booth and that sort of thing. Booth 180. Booth 180. Yeah. Okay. Just look so for now, the uh, ninjas and mustaches. Exactly. Ninjas and mustaches. You're in the right place. So, okay, now. Now we have a base that we can build on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So, um, you are, where are you from? I'm from Joliet. Okay. Uh, so not too far from here. And then in my limited research, I saw that you went to Illinois State. Yeah. And you were an art student there. Yeah. And what were you studying specifically? Painting. Painting. So I got my BFA in painting from Illinois State. Mm. And were you doing, what kind of painting were you doing? It was pretty, um, it, it went from more character-based, more, more literal character-based stuff, but kind of cartoony characters. Um, then it moved away from that as art school um, kind of whipped me into shape, so to speak. Um, they were still kind of blobby forms, but it became more formal. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was, I wasn't really thinking about putting eyes on anything. Basically, blobby formal forms. Yeah, blobby formal forms. <laughs> was it abstract or just yeah? It was still objective. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, well, non non. Well, it's tricky because I still thought a lot about the character side, but in you know, in critiques and working with my advisors at that time, I was really trying to justify it. So. To, to make them happy. I mean, I may have liked it. You know, I may have liked color choices, texture choices, some of the forms and the way, you know, compositionally. But um, I wasn't really happy with them. Like, 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 like thinking, As, thinking back to that time, especially in, in hindsight, I was like, man, I did not really like doing those. Doing the, doing the work? Doing the paintings? Yeah, doing the paintings. Ma- making the paintings. Um, and I think that is coming from denying myself what I really enjoyed. I mean, I, I really appreciate art of, of many kinds. But for what I was doing at that time, I think I need, I wanted to go back to not just referencing the figure, but but also making it more in line with my interest, cartoony, you know, with 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 mm-hmm. cartooning or or just uh, take an artist like Philip Gustin, for instance, and I just absolutely love his work, and I think he can he has a a great balance between um, referencing obviously like that sort of '70s cartoon aesthetic or comic aesthetic, mm-hmm. um, yet still um, having a really strong conceptual basis. And so and that was that someone you were looking at when you were in school? Yeah. So I liked him prior to going to school and I was a lot of the work that I was doing was actually probably more like his stuff than I would be comfortable with admitting now. Right. Um but then moving away from it in a in a way, but I think in a lot of ways now that I've I'm, I've gone past that. I, I think I, I come back to his work especially quite a bit. So before you started s- art school you were really into cartooning and stuff well not professionally no i just really enjoyed it you mm-hmm. know and i was always I mean, is that what inspired you to want to go to art school no um i was working at a magazine called electronic gaming monthly as a game reviewer i worked there from uh 90, 1994 to 2000 reviewing games hardware electronics and uh and then some other sort of lifestyle stuff that was connected to gaming as a high schooler, you were doing this? Uh, well, or, or was there I, a period in between? There was a period okay. in between. So I went to junior college, and then I got this job, and it was an amazing job. So I stuck with that for a while. 
Um, publishing is, you know, video game publishing is a blast, but publishing generally is is rough. You know, there's a lot of deadlines, and I was, you know, in my early 20s, and I wanted to do something different, and I was always more into art anyway. Mm-hmm. So I left that job, and that's when I went back to school. And you, and what made you pick painting? Um, I've I always thought of myself as a painter, especially back then. Um, even though I I drew a lot, I felt like painting um, was like this was the medium that I needed to choose. So it was less it was less uh, it was less about me really. Uh, I did love to paint, right? But what I what I what I truly loved was drawing that was colored in. Okay. <laughs> so I think I was like a little bit misguided back then, and and was, uh, painting was a natural choice for me. And the drawing program, honestly, I, wasn't that strong at, at Illinois State uh, at that time, or so I thought. So, painting. I liked some of the instructors that I had, I had met, so I went with painting. When you, what kind of art program did your high school have? I went to Joliet West. It was, uh, you know, a township school. They had art program, but it was, it wasn't exceptional. Mm -hmm. And I didn't take any art classes. In fact, my senior year of high school, I had the option to either take an art class or get out of school at two o'clock. So I opted to leave school early. (laughs) And so I guess I'm just trying to form like an idea of how you when you were doing the video game magazine stuff and mm-hmm. then you decided to go to art school, there obviously was like a seed before that of, of doing like uh, a painting, yeah. doing like character kind of stuff. So how did that manifest itself? Like at an earlier age? Well, at an earlier age, I think it was taking, um, I remember in like third grade, we were doing this holiday Christmas because I went to a Catholic school, uh, a Christmas card art project, right? And I, I I always drew stuff. I think because of my my dad drew my brothers. I have four older brothers, and several of them would draw. And I remember uh, them drawing stuff from comic books, and I was just marveling at the fact that it looked exactly like this thing that someone else drew. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was always in my life at home. And then in school, I would always draw and, you know, pretty typical third grader drawings. But Garfield, um, that's what I drew. Yeah, I would do a little uh, Garfield, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Garfield was hard because of the stripes. That was I that that used to uh, really frustrate, frustrate me. I would do they would do pretty well in the body. The ears, but then the tail, for whatever reason, I just oh, always end up being all jacked up. See, I was just focused on the head. Oh, I was doing the whole, the whole body, thing, was man. Just too, yeah, it's too tough. much for me. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, okay, I understand then. So I remember doing this this project of Santa Claus. Um, I think he was coming out of a chimney. Now that I think about it, I think he was in a cave, which maybe I'm combining... Two different ones. No, this is what it was. It was a ho- it was a Christmas card. So it was it was Santa Claus coming out of a chimney, but I made it so it was two pieces of paper, and there was a slit in one of the pieces of paper, and it's like this long thing, so you could pull Santa so you Claus. Could actually, make it. Yeah, you can have him come out of the chimney. 
So you're doing animation. I was doing some, some <laughs> old school animation. So then uh, that one stuck with me because it was the first time I was like um, taking, it, taking it a step further creatively and making, mm-hmm. it, making it my own. And I think that, that, that was the, that's become more of the common thread. Like, so whether it was that kind of stuff or like playing with Transformers and G.I. Joe's, and it wasn't enough for me just to like draw existing Transformers or existing Joes. It was creating new ones and then adding my own attributes. Interesting. Okay. And, and so I, there was some like storytelling going on. Too. Yeah. And this this creativity that was inspired by what was created. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 was, and I I mean this is all this is all hindsight because I didn't right. you know even when I worked at the magazine and I reviewed games and it was a blast. There was always this, this nagging feeling that was like, this is a finished product. I mean, you know, I would have rather talked to these guys when they were making the game and gave them some feedback. Cause this is what I feel is like, not that, that could have been improved upon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, but I didn't want to get into game development, <laughs> even though that would have been, I think I probably would have, and it would have been a blast, but uh, it was pretty grueling work. But, but the point being is that, creatively i think it would have been more fun to work on those projects than just critiquing after the fact mm-hmm. so again it goes back to this idea of the create the, the the creative side the inception side rather than the finished product and just you know so did it ever get more before you went to college um but past like third grade or gi joe time because mm-hmm. <laughs> most people like a lot of people kind of like hit a point where then that stops mm-hmm. and goes away. Um, did that happen for you or was it always like a thing that you were kind of doing in the background? The Just drawing and yeah. yeah, always drawing. Yeah. Tons of sketchbooks. Um, I, I, I have many of the old ones from when I was a kid and, and my wife and I were just looking through them when we moved and uh, it is... I mean, it is exactly what you think. It was just like, you know, um, these goofy drawings. I don't know. I don't know what the style came from because it, it reminds me of something, but I can't place what it was exactly. But it's like I must have been playing 720 or something. And it was like those or like California games. There's like all these skateboarding characters oh. <laughs> like in the pool. Um, uh, another one's like uh, got like this sort of baton thing. Like they're like jousting with another skater in the pool. So you, do you think like 8-bit game, like Nintendo oh, totally. and stuff like that had a huge influence? Yeah, absolutely. Too? And that was something you were aware of even then? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. I remember, well, my and my brother, my oldest brother, Brian, he was always a gamer. So he got uh, the first system, and we had, we had like the 2600 growing up, but he, for my birthday, he bought me um, the ColecoVision. So that was my first system as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I just, it was like amazing. Like, like Montezuma's Revenge, like just oh, yeah. blew my mind. You know, just to play that on like Apple IIe. So hard. It's like, I just played it a year ago or something in uh, one of the emulators. And I was just like, I couldn't get anywhere. It's like so ridiculously hard. But that, that sort of stuff, I think just stuck with me, you know, like, especially from the game side. Mm-hmm. Um, then the comic book side, it was more Spider-Man, X-Men, Punisher, uh, some Batman. Okay. Just, just really digging that those worlds and those characters and the villains and how they interacted and basically the storylines. So then, were you also in, 
um, like, did you know much about like more form, like fine art stuff too, like art history? Did you have a sense of any of that kind of stuff? No, not really until junior college. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I can't even say I was really interested in it until, until junior college. I was interested in drawing and, mm-hmm. and the idea of painting, but you know, I would, I had only drawn these goofy comic book characters, you know, mm-hmm. or make believe characters from Transformers and, and how, G.I. And how different were, was your aesthetic now already beginning to be developed then? No, it was much more detailed. Um, considerably more detailed, a lot more shading, just, just, a, um, yeah, just way more complicated, thin lines and, and, mm-hmm. and that in like no like marker, you know, no bold colors. Were you, it sounds like you had, um, like we're creating characters and stuff, but was there any other narrative kind of work? Like, did you do sequential art at all? No. It was just sort of like character yeah. design, <laughs> just characters. And most of most, I remember being frustrated by the fact that some of my friends could do these amazing compositional scenes of characters interacting, mm-hmm. and most of my drawings were like one character <laughs> in, in some sort of environment. And right. once in a while, there'd be a secondary character, but it'd always be somewhat awkward. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it was about that, but mm-hmm. it must have been something inherent. And then when you started actually studying painting in college mm-hmm. and you you were influenced by like more formal like trained yeah. fine art kind of thinking um how did that change how did that change you i mean you you said a little bit about like where you ended up and that you weren't didn't necessarily yeah like it as much but what was the progression that made that happen uh, was a couple of instructors um, while in junior college, um, Steve Sherrill and, oh crap, he had left um, during my time there, Bill, uh, anyway, another instructor whose name I can't remember. So both of them, um, they just had a real sense, like they, they, they were great instructors because they could pick up on what students were what what the students' strengths were. And I remember from first year to second year, my dad actually passed away that summer of 95 to 96. And so the first year, I just kept figuring shit out, right? So then there was this, like, huge thing that happened during the summer. So when I came back, I had this, like, this, like, I, I got to get, get this shit together here, you know? So I had this renewed uh, purpose, and they picked up on that almost immediately without even knowing what happened and uh, worked really closely with them on on learning more about different artists, um, doing a lot more figure drawings. And then beyond that, just thinking about um, formal issues issues more, more clearly. When you say formal, can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. So color, composition. Um, they didn't stress as much about the... Like the uh, conceptual side mm-hmm. um at at that at that time um so it really was more about um more of a like kind of modernist thinking when you say you came back and you were more serious mm-hmm. why like how did that how did that serious event affect you now like why 
I think it was, um, I, you know, it was like kind of going, it was like a, a rite of passage, I think, you know, it's like the, the, the realization that I was an adult all of a sudden, like mm-hmm. this, this thing happened. It was like, I was just kind of going along as a teenager and then all of a sudden I was 18 and, and my dad passed away. So it was like, came back to college the next year and just, was, I just had this sense of purpose mm-hmm. that I really wanted to get down to business. And so then you're, uh, when you're in college, it sounds like you were, you ended up doing more, um, like traditional fine art kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Is that where you, when you were done with school, is that where you were at? Yeah. Well, with junior college, I was still drawing these, you know, I was, I was doing more, you know, um, you know, fine art kind of work, like more academic kind of work, but I still was drawing these cartoony kind of comic characters in my sketchbooks. Like on a parallel path. Yeah, exactly. So this wasn't in my work as much. I mean, once in a while it might have a little appearance, but generally speaking, it was sort of this parallel path. Um, and then I got the job at EGM. And so then I, I just kind of stopped going to college. Well, I, I graduated, but then I, I didn't continue. I didn't go on to get my four-year degree. Mm-hmm. I took a couple classes at college of, of DuPage because at that point I lived up in Lombard. Um, and uh, that was more the classes I took were, were definitely more like studying old masters and like understanding layering of oil painting and, and really? you know, yeah. definitely like way more traditional than anything. But it was also interesting because I was learning how to paint um, from, from a technique standpoint. And was your separation of the like more character kind of stuff and your painting. Why, why was it separate? What did you feel I, like they had different purposes and it made, just made sense for you to have them be different or was it, um, I wish I knew. I really don't know. I, it was, it's probably, I, I would like to think that it's, it's, it's like that. Like it just had a different purpose and therefore I was separating it. Mm-hmm. Not, greater than or less than just separate. But I think in reality, um, because I was younger and more naive, I probably didn't really, um, not like I was ashamed of it or anything, but I wasn't really sure what to do with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like if I was going to be an artist, that it was more important for me to focus on this stuff over here that was considered to be fine art Mm -hmm. versus the stuff over here that was kind of goofy and playful and, and not as important. And around what years are we talking about? This would be uh, 94, 95. Okay. No, no, wait. I take that back because I moved to Lombard in 96. So this is 96, 97. So this was pre-big designer toy. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I was not aware of any of that until 2001. No, no, 2003. Really? Yeah. It, like Japanese import stuff I'd seen, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really... That was le- that was more like product like character mascots of products rather than true designer toys. Mm-hmm. So, so then you worked at the magazine, yeah, and then you went back to school. Mm-hmm. And how did your work progress during that period? So while I was finishing up at the magazine, I would um, I was in charge of the section called the Sushi X Files. Sushi X is a character in, in, in EGM. It's just a lot of 
this lore that goes back long, long before I was I started working there. And this Sushi X Files was a kind of a supplement for subscribers. It was like it was almost like an activity page, but but you know for gamers. So it was goofy stuff. It was like word search, like a like a hot and not list, like web links you should check out. Like before, <laughs> you know, before the magazine even had a website, it's like we're putting like you know. <laughs> Uh, whatever dot edu slash tilde you know so on down the line dot html and it's right. like who's no, seriously going to type in no one that had many figured ca- out tiny url <laughs> yeah yeah that would have been genius yeah um and, and in addition to that then i was i was able to do some comic strips which is insane like in hindsight this is going out to i i i don't even know how many subscribers we had at that point uh hundred and 100,000, 200,000. So these subscribers were getting this little comic strip that I did with my name attached to it. Mm-hmm. I had no sense, again, because maybe the separation of, of what I was doing, like in these classes at night once in a while, and then when I was doing my day job as a writer, to doing what, this comic strip as a supplement to everything else. But yet I had this audience. I didn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it just was for the magazine and that was that. It wasn't like some character I invented. It was just goofy sort of stuff referencing video games or whatever. So that was the only time I've ever done like I guess what you can consider sequential art, but I, I wasn't really even thinking about it in that way. You know, mm-hmm. it was just sort of... It was just this thing you were doing. Yeah, this thing that I was doing that, you know, because I knew what that stuff was supposed to look like. So I was just putting it out there and my editor was like oh yeah looks good and then i'd go to print and that'd be that uh, and I, like if i was smarter then i mean what an amazing opportunity that could have been and and who knows where i could have went do with you it. think i mean you describe sort of like a, a lack of um this sort of i don't know do you think it would be different now like in the same situation somebody anybody would just know oh i have this huge audience and yeah thinking about yeah. like the reach that that has in the social absolutely like, communication aspect of that. Like it would and be it's, totally different. It's changed so much, especially in the advent of things like Twitter and Facebook, where, you know, if you were at all keyed into that world, you would, you would think that, okay, this, this has huge potential. Mm. But then once you saw any kind of traffic or any kind of, you know, murmurings, you know, uh, on Twitter or Facebook, you would be an idiot not to take advantage of that. And it's not something that was really part of my reality at that time or anyone's for that matter. So, right. So what, so you're talking about that. Yeah. So leading into, so I was doing a little bit more, you know, I was still unaware of, uh, again, of that specific impact. Uh, um, but I was doing a little bit more of that and I was looking at, um, the, kind of comic booky cartoony characters in a, in, a, in a little bit of a different way. Um, and then, and then sort of life just took over because the morale at the magazine was going down the tubes. Dot coms were snatching up people left and right. Um, I wasn't really interested in working for a dot com because I knew that my interest was elsewhere. And I was visiting a friend in New York and we were driving back to Chicago and it was, that was really when I was like, I was thinking about getting another job, like another magazine job, or maybe changing to a different job altogether. wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, then I was like, I never finished college. Perfect. <laughs> um, and that, that was the epiphany. It was like, well, why don't I just go get my fine art, fine art degree? I know I like this stuff. Why not just explore that? I had some friends who were at Illinois State 
um, who were older students. They had, they had worked and then went back. And uh, so it just was sort of a natural fit. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe if I was, again, if I wasn't so Forrest Gump about it, I could just like do a little more research and pick a school that was going to really like be amazing for me. Maybe the Art Institute or maybe somewhere else altogether outside of Illinois or Chicago. But uh, for whatever reason, chose Illinois State. Um, but it worked out. I mean, I, there was a lot of Chicago um, transplants that were teaching down there that mm-hmm. were closer to my age at that point because I was an older undergrad and uh, had a lot of fun down there. And how did it change your work? So going down there, when I when I first got down there, that was just like, you know, I had been working. And um, it was the first time I had, I had a summer off. So I got down there a little bit early before the semester started. And I immediately was just like, this is amazing. I can get up and do whatever I want again. I have no real obligations yet. Um, and part of that was just an exploration of all sorts of mediums. You know, um, I dabbled in sculpture, some, um, some ceramics and plaster. Um, before did, the school year started? Uh, well, plaster before the school year started. Ceramics once it did. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot more drawing, just, just time to sit there and draw. Um, painting in the apartment was a little bit tricky because it was a college-owned, like a university-owned apartment, but I did have a little studio in the corner. Uh, so that once, this, once the school year started, really got down to business, and it was the first summer after that. So the, the school, after, when, that, when that school year ended and I had my, my first summer off in 10 years or whatever, well, maybe not that long, but something like that, Felt um, like ten. It felt like ten years. There you go. That that was when uh, I started sewing these things that weren't that weren't shawnimals. They were still in this fine art context. So I think it was like you know, in, in hindsight, the progression was having a chance to just explore a bunch of different mediums, do a lot of these kind of cartoony drawings, not really be as affected by the academic constraints, you know, because it was just starting off again. Mm-hmm. Um, having the first summer off and then really just getting, getting down to uh, basics. I mean, do whatever I want at that point. I wasn't taking any summer school or anything like that. And having seen, um, Japanese import toys that were stuffed animals, but they weren't, they weren't anything. They were just what they were. They were like a monster, like Domokun is a good example. Mm-hmm. It's they're just it's just he's not a he's not a bunny he's not a teddy bear he's just a monster it's just like make believe thing mm-hmm. and that was that was like seeing that was just like perfect that's Why? because it was it was it wasn't referencing anything else it just was what it was so that that was the the opening for me just to make whatever I wanted based on my goofy sketchbooks I mean was it a sense of this isn't really following any kind of rules, so why am I trying to yeah. like fit things into an existing framework? Yeah, and having this huge arsenal of things to draw from that I had for so long not even looked at or tapped into. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and these aren't even s- sketchbooks; these are like margins of notebooks. And I started collecting all of these, cutting them out of old notebooks, and compiling them into binders of just these singular characters. And that's really where, that's really where, the idea of Shawnimals came from. So it was so it was just making these first few, and there was this. And these were hand sewn. Yeah, and that's the other thing. 
so there's no process. I mean, I could just do it. I mean, there's a process, of course, but there's no, uh, I don't have to make a mold. I don't need any special technology. There was like an instant gratification aspect to it. Yep, exactly. Work right out of my apartment. Mm-hmm. And did you Especially know- as a painter, you know, the idea of having all of these mediums and tubes of paint and special brushes for this and that and, you know, having to build your, your canvas out of, you know, it's like, I like some of that stuff a lot. But mm-hmm. um, then there's this other side with sewing that is just so much more direct. So what were those early, pl- what do you call them first off? Do you call them plush forms or do you call them plushes? Or um, you- I guess plush toys. Plush is, toys? Yeah. Okay. So what were those early plush toys like? They were, some didn't have eyes. Some were like a face like a, or like a, a shape of a head. Um, some did have eyes, but they were like um kind of sewing onto uh an area a bunch so it was mm-hmm. kind of this weird not eyeball yeah. thing um they were definitely sim- very simple like there was one character called the leggy which is you know they have their own land now but the first one was called orange leggy and he was like this sort of misshapen ellipse with these really long legs with feet hanging off of it it was um made out of orange terry cloth like an old towel mm-hmm. uh that i got at a thrift store in my college town so there was that whole thing going on too which i kind of forgot about until i just mentioned that this idea of reusing and recycling which was just something that i was curious about mm-hmm. if i could get all these old fabrics and repurpose them and uh and, and were that, you just teaching yourself how to sew and stuff my mom helped me with some of the first just kind of getting an idea of basic what kind yeah of concepts sewing of basics sewing. <laughs> and right around then i met my my not jen who's now my wife and, and co-owner of shaunamals we had just met at that time we just first started dating so she actually helped me out with some of that as well and had some supplies some needle and thread and mm-hmm. that she had got gave me and what sort of context were you thinking about these uh, plush toys existing in N- uh, none there was no <laughs> world there was no narrative at all no but i mean like <laughs> i wasn't I thinking mean, in about. our world what context like did oh, they okay. were you making them as art objects or were they just like um i was really uncertain you were just doing i loved i loved the idea of them being like a plush toy like this sort of weird decorative toy that was mm-hmm. you know like like a toy that like a kid well, like that could be a kid's toy, but could also just sit on your shelf and look cool. Right. A designer toy, but not really realizing that that existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they, they were just, um, they were definitely more of a, in an in a academic context. Okay. Oh, then, not, not during that summer. I mean, during that summer, it was just like, uh, these experiment. are goofy, yeah, yeah, goofy plush versions of these sketchbook characters that I had laying around. The first one was floppy cat monkey and then the next one was like based on a uh, the first imac or emac i guess it was called one EMAC, first that's right yeah, yeah. it's based on the emac it was just like i called it like the one-eyed alien or something and it had like this weird tendril hand which was the mouse like the puck uh-huh that's right the little round ones. yes so those um when you made those they were they all sort of 
anthropomorphize morph like yes <laughs> <laughs> they all had like human qualities they in some way or not it was like they were a living things it wasn't like you were making yes true true they were Oldenburg right fried egg or something yeah it wasn't that it was definitely they were they were beings of some sort in some cases more specific to like i made a manatee for a friend who liked manatees Mm -hmm. but generally it'd be like the leggy or some sort of weird computer alien looking thing um so they weren't yeah they weren't just um specifically an object and the idea of character even then was really important so it was if it was if it was a trash bag it had eyes mm-hmm. and that, you know, and that was the big d- kind of differentiating f- factor. Um, some of the ones that didn't have eyes were definitely being made. I was making them in this, in this, uh, fine art context of being an extension of my painting. Right. And I was kind of justifying that to my instructors at the time. Cause I really wasn't feeling it. I wanted them to have eyes. So you started, you, you were started experimenting with these and then you started thinking like, I'm going to bring this into my, yeah work yeah as as the summer ended and <laughs> and i got into the bfa program at that time so i had a studio at school that i could work in and, and that was like so i brought some of those in there and i was trying to make sense of them basically um for myself but also because my instructors are like well what's up with these these are cool but what what's the point mm-hmm. um and that was they're always pushing you to like you know explore your body of work what's your thesis et cetera, et cetera. so there's a lot of that going on. They're not just being a dick when they're like, what's the point? Right, exactly. There's a, yeah. There's a, sometimes they're being a dick, but sometimes there's like a so. purpose usually. There is. And, 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 you know, I am very thankful for that. You know, even though the, a lot of the work that came from, from that time, I, did, I don't really like at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the, some of the conceptual basis that the, the, just the way to think about work is still there today. So some of the creation myths that exist for, say, Ninja Town come directly from some of the stuff I was thinking about back then, um, specific to dendrochronology and the idea of um, these sort of peak experience and how your, your, your um, perspective can be permanently altered and, and all like these, these, these ideas that were in my work and what I was exploring at that time, a lot of those same stuff can be trace back to like this idea of like the hero's journey and so on mm-hmm. um and that's just a natural fit for some of the stuff that we deal with now with ninja town so i'm jumping a little bit ahead so no, that's okay <laughs> so how how did your like did your instructors respond well to this some did some didn't um my instructor uh, her name is shona um, Sometimes painter people are really about like, well, why aren't you painting though? <laughs> right, right. Well, and that was that was definitely something that I was struggling with at that time because I I really enjoyed sculpture. I liked making a physical thing, mm-hmm. but I also really liked painting, and I couldn't figure out. I like painting things, so I couldn't quite figure out why I liked one more than the other. Um, the one I liked more was usually sculpture. And I think it comes back to the, what I touched on earlier with the idea of I liked drawing most. 
um, painting was just a means to color in that drawing. And I know that's not what painting is. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of painters like, but for what you, the, what for you, you that's sort of what it was. It really ended up being what it was. Um, mm-hmm. I liked, and you know, and in, in some of the mediums in oil painting, especially, I was just like, oh man, this is awesome. It's like, you know, this wax medium that can have this frosting like texture to this paint that I'm doing with this weird looking biomorphic character thing. Well, I was basically sculpting with medium, mm-hmm. you know, without even realizing it. I was making a relief on on canvas. So when you started doing the the plush toys, it's almost like you were drawing on fabric and then Absolutely. it was already colored in. Yes, <laughs> that's a really good point. And in fact, I was literally drawing on canvas or uh I was sewing with the sewing machine or drawing with the sewing machine. Really? Um, so yeah. you would draw you would draw it so I'd use just what you said. Yeah, exactly. So I'd, <laughs> you wouldn't pre-draw, or, um, I would or have, I would have a sketch. You would have a sketch, but then not, not always. But sometimes I'd have a sketch or a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember. I think this came after. I think it was part of the exploration of figuring out what I wanted, how I wanted fabric to be used in my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if 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 the the plush toy looking things weren't weren't um part of my my work for my bfa then then that was okay but maybe those those were separated but i still really liked fabric um as as a medium because there was this inherent thing that existed especially with some of the stuff i was i was touching on at that time with the idea of experience and and um uh, shifts of perspective and and these other things these uh, blips that i called them at the time that the warp and the weft of fabric is a perfect metaphor for the some of the warp and the weft. Yes, the weave of fabric, and it's like, and this is touched on in in uh, Native American culture and Greek mythology, and and it's just like, as I was doing this research, I was just like, this is absolutely fascinating that there's all this stuff built in. What? So explain the warp <laughs> and the weft. I've never heard that term. Uh, so basically, the threads that run vertical and horizontal. Mm-hmm. That those that, that is they are woven. One is the weft. One is the warp. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, what I'm trying to think of is the woof. It can be called weft or woof or, or warp and woof or something like that. Mm-hmm. In any case, that was um, uh, I liked that there was these perpendicular lines basically. So the idea of these intersection points of experience at that time that was the built-in metaphor for me. So you take that a step further, and a lot of the stuff that I could find in thrift stores at that time was uh from the 60s through the 80s and that was basically like you know my family arc from the, the experience that i knew being born in 75 um i would hear stories my from my older siblings but then there was this you know point of me growing up you know becoming an adult so it was just sort of an interesting span of time so there's this this fabric because the way it looked because of the colors and patterns had that built into it right so a lot of the stuff that i made from that would automatically seem like it had a built-in aesthetic and stuff yeah so there's just all this stuff going on so so this the 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 drawing with the sewing machine that was one of the things i was exploring the idea of this fabric that had this this built-in connotation um could be the vehicle um by which i drew this picture based on a family photo for instance or some other kind of drawing so just explorations and then how would you 
present that kind of work? Uh, I would usually stretch that onto then a frame. Or in some cases, I would just pin it directly as like almost like a, like, you know, shroud or something. Just tacked to the wall, mm-hmm. hanging there, flapping in the wind. So then did you end up with a degree of some sort? Yes, I got a BFA in painting. So even though my work was going toward fibers, there was no fibers program um, at, at Illinois State. But the way I, th- I was looking at it, and I'm sure we can argue about this for a couple more hours, um, I was thinking about it still in terms of painting because so some of the way I was using materials um, and some of the conceptual basis just lend- lended itself to composition forms, colors, lines, etc. So my, my, my advisors were, were like, okay, <laughs> you're okay to go. That works for us, kid. Good luck. Yeah. I had, I had very similar experiences in some ways because I, I went to art school and was a sculpture major and I went, but I did video and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I remember towards the end being in critiques, um, I was in a sculpture critique and people were, someone had done like a drawing on a piece of wood or something. Mm -hmm. And I remember having this critique and people arguing about whether it was a sculpture or not. And just being like, you know, I understand why you have this argument, (laughs) but isn't it more interesting to talk about the content and meaning of the work than define it as either a sculpture or a painting or a drawing like you can get into this weird like feedback loop or something where it just kind of just degrades into art speak and it it loses yeah it's, it's not about it anymore and, and and those kinds of discussions are important to have because you you sometimes do get to this this distilled idea which can be very important and pivotal to the the, the you know the development of work and everybody has to have their own answers to those questions. It's like exactly. why you have the what is art yeah. conversations throughout art school so that you have at least thought about it. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you absolutely have to think about it. But it is a balance. So what? So then you're done with school and you could do anything you wanted. You didn't have any advisors or right. uh, anybody critiquing you. So what? So, so what there was this. There was this overlap period where I had taken these characters, these stuffed animals, basically, plush toys, out of that fine art context entirely. So now now they were what... They weren't even Shaunimals at that point. I think they were almost Shaunimals. Um, but, and, I, and I mean that... that you I know, just the, imagined almost Shaunimals trademark. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a, a product for women. Almost Shaunimals. Um... And they were, and, and and I mean, you know, that they were they weren't products yet. I mean, you know, like friends had expressed interest, most of most of them from the video game industry, because um, I'd set, it'd send pictures of these goofy things I'm working on, or you know, they wouldn't see them on Facebook because Facebook didn't exist. You'd probably see them on what Prodigy or something. No, that's a little bit. Was MySpace happening yet? Uh, MySpace, yeah, just about. Yeah. Probably was. Um, so that's that around that time a friend uh a friend of, of my wife's uh her husband we were out to dinner and he we were I was trying to think of what to call these things. 
And he said, well, why don't you call them Shawnimals? Why did you think you needed to call them something at because all? Because they were becoming, because friends had expressed interest and wanted to buy them, I thought of, I was like, well, this is interesting. Uh, like, this is kind of like a weird art toy product thing. So you felt like it needed a product name. I felt like it should have an, an yeah, an overarching, um, um, an umbrella, if you will. Just mm-hmm. so to to help understand them, I I I should back up for a second because in high school when I did, I did a comic strip, I forgot about this. <laughs> See, this is important okay. thing. How can I forget about this this very important thing about sequential art? It was so ridiculous. It it barely had a story, and that's why I I, I forgot about it. It was called Cabin Bolt. Um. I'm screwing up your your uh, format altogether. That's okay. No, this is exactly what's supposed <laughs> to happen. Um, so I had this comic strip called Captain Bolt, and it was about Cat this Cap Bolt Captain, like Captain, Captain Crunch Bolt. Okay. Yeah, Captain Crunch, but Captain Bolt. Okay. So he was a bumbling uh, superhero, kind of like the Tick. In hindsight, I'm sure that's exactly where <laughs> he comes from. Uh, he had a sidekick named Johnny Mushroom Head who was a scrawny fellow named Johnny who happened to have a mushroom for on top of his head, not forehead, but rather on top of his head. Okay. Um, and they would go around um, crime fighting, I guess, in, in a, you know, a six by three inch comic in the high school newspaper um, with some classic villains such as Yams, which stands for Your Average Mad Scientist, Transgram, which is a transgender grandmother. <laughs> I don't know how I like yeah. that one especially. I was always like, you know, when I'd, I'd look in in, in my my uh, my archives, be like, how did the journalism it teacher? No, it was a different time. I, I just think they didn't understand what the hell I was <laughs> no. doing. They're like, oh, these kids and their crazy comics. All right. Um. There was another guy. It was a. It was actually an ally of Captain Bolt. Um. He was basically like a, a really had a hard life. He was he was a superhero, but he was smoking and coming out of porn theaters. And I remember this one this one um, frame was gosh I wish I could remember his name. Um, it was the the frame was him. He had a cigarette dangling out of his mouth. He was in front of a theater, and the theater on the on the placard was XXX. And I think he had just like ran over a cat or something. Like it was just this weird frame. And again, like no harm, no foul. Just send it to print. Yeah. It's all good. It's not like a super conservative school or anything, but still like at some point you'd have to wonder is the instructor just didn't seem to care. Did no one really read it? I think that was what it was. No one really read it. (laughs) But, but I I bring this up. Well, two reasons. One, because it's, it's integral to the story. (laughs) Um, but two, I would sell T-shirts and like membership cards to the Captain Bolt Club back then. Back then, okay. So there is this little thread of entrepreneurism, and I think that's another reason why I felt the need to call these things Shawnimals. I see, or call them something. So out to dinner. Fast forward back to what we were talking about. Out to dinner with some friends, and the the husband says. Well, maybe you should call them Shawnimals. You know, you're Sean, they're animals, they're Shawnimals. It's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, holy shit, my brother Scott 
called me Sean when I was a kid. <laughs> and I totally forgot about that until that very moment. The thing that's weird about that is that I don't I think hear I the name t- Sean and immediately think animal. Like, is like a word combination that makes sense. It's not Shan. Shanimals. Well, some people call them that. Other, animals? other people call them Shana, Sean animals. Sean animals? Sean, Sean animals. Sean animals? Interesting. Okay, so. So, Sean animals, I was uh, just like, that's that's what it needs to be. That's perfect. They're, they're, you know, I created them. They're animals. So, they're Sean animals. Okay. So, so then what was the next step after that? Next once step you after had that. Name. Yeah, once I had the name and I had a few selling to friends, I thought, you know, it would be fun is to make a website. And I knew how to make a website, so I made one. How did you know how to make one? Uh, I worked at Babbage's Software for a number of years. Um, if you remember Babbage's, it became Software Etc. and EB. No. Okay, well, Babbage's was a precursor to, to EB Games and, and uh, GameStop. Okay. okay. So, um, so I worked there, and uh, I had a free... Uh, from working there, I got a free account for Prodigy. And I was always, perk. I was a, a perk, yes. a little retailer perk. And uh, I had friends who ran BBSs. So I was like a co sysop on a friend's BBS and did ASCII art and kind of keyed into that world. And my first computer was a, was a PC. So um, when I got the Prodigy account, one of the things you got was free web space, you know, prodigy.net slash whatever. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, this is awesome. I can, I can figure out how to make these HTML pages and then send, send links to my friends, um, which is what I did. So I just taught myself basic HTML. So you made a website. Yeah. So made, website. made this website, which um, I had a, a backup copy of Dreamweaver which I used to uh, to make all of these, like, <laughs> probably, like, dozens of nested tables, you know, like, <laughs> I, the CSS didn't exist. Um, and it was, I just remember, like, spending hours and hours trying to figure out how to make these images line up and all this other terrible shit that you could do now in, like, five seconds. Um, so made this website, put photos up um, with links through... PayPal. Yeah, I guess it was PayPal. So this was... Uh, We're approaching the modern era. It's like 2000. <laughs> yeah, 2000, 2001, 2002 now. Um, and uh, sent it to some friends. And this was like predominantly video game pals. Now these these folks either live in Chicago or San Francisco and New York. So um, that was... That was gonna. That was like way more important than I realized at the time. The fact that they were coastal, because right. then word's gonna spread in this much different way. And were these one of a kind, like creations? Still, yeah. These were one, like literally one of a kind, first come, first served. And you were just selling them. Put them up. Yeah. Put put twelve up every month or so. Okay. And then you said it was right around that same time that you became aware of, like designer toy kind of stuff happening the two 2003 well probably 2002 um into 2003 is really when i i started realizing that that stuff existed especially when uh we got our first big press on daily candy in december of 2002 
Yeah. I believe so. I hope so. I uh, should I should know this. But the point is, so this is all hosted on my uh, Illinois State like web web uh, you know web hosting. Mm-hmm. Um, my little student space with my student email address. Um, I I I did get Seanimals.com, Um, pretty soon after that, and I was able to figure out how to do a domain mask to forward it to the the um, school space. That's beside the point. <laughs> The uh, the point is um, first the first press in Daily Candy. So one of our one of my friends that worked in PR for the video game industry, Jenny, she pitched the idea to Daily Candy. And Daily Candy at that point, I mean, they still exist now, and I, I think that that they're doing fairly well. But back then, they were basically in uh, L.A. and New York, and she pitched the story to them on Seanimals, like unbeknownst to us. And then they picked it up and they ran the story. So that morning I got up, checked my school email and like 450 messages pop up. I'm like, what the, what the hell's going on? This is, you know, had no idea. Some people like, I saw your post on daily candy. It was really interesting stuff. Um, so then I look at daily candy and I see this, and I'm like, what, what's happening? Like, I just <laughs> like, you know, I didn't even know this site existed. And then finally, um, uh, my friend Jenny messaged me on Instant Messenger, and then she spilled the beans. But part of that was uh, David Horvath, who is the creator of Ugly Dolls with his wife Sunman. He emailed me back then, so that was like so. Two, in two thousand two, he emailed us just to say, "Hey, I saw your Shawnimals." You know, I can't remember specifically what he said, but you know, he probably said something like, "These are the best thing I've ever seen. Way better than what I'm doing." Right? Um, can Didn't I give you some money? Quote it. Yeah. <laughs> quote. Did he give you some money? No. <laughs> that would be awesome. Did he buy one? He didn't. Oh. No. I did sell did sell what we had online. At, uh, we, I mean, it was just, it, Jen was helping me a bit at that point, but it was mostly mm-hmm. myself. So when that happened, was that another moment of clarity that like, yes, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. There's opportunity here. Yeah, that was, that was like, it was just kind of fun and we're making them and, and, you know, a couple strangers would pop on the site now and again through word of mouth. But at that point, that was when it was, it was really like, like there's a lot more people all of a sudden looking at this and we have no idea who they are and they like it. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's really where the clarity came from is just realizing that there was an audience beyond our expectations. And, and, and even then I remember realizing like, like being amazed at the fact that the internet provided us that, that Mm -hmm. this was just, sitting there i mean i was sleeping i didn't know this was happening you know analytics because particularly then that was a new kind of experience yes definitely much more so than it almost seems weird to think that that would be weird yeah exactly (laughs) yeah but there wasn't nearly as much in the way of i mean there were certainly websites and 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 um but this whole idea of things like going viral and like yeah exactly popular yeah i mean this is before I mean, I, MySpace maybe just started. Mm-hmm. Facebook, YouTube, none of that existed. Right. You know, so there really was like Earthlink was still around. Um, it was like AOL pff, days. AOL, yeah. AOL was probably the. Yeah, that was actually because, uh, yeah, I remember a lot of AOL. David Horvath's <laughs> email address was an AOL.com. And what? Address. So did seeing what was going on with Ugly Dolls also have an influence on you 
Yes and no. I mean, yes, because it was cool to see that there was this other thing happening that was similar in spirit, very different aesthetically, mm-hmm. but similar in spirit to what we were doing. And, and like, ironically, the fact that, you know, there, the, the, the story of, of David and Sun Min as a couple, you know, um, meeting in college and being apart and, you know, it wasn't identical to my because situation. The story but with them is they started creating these and sending them to each other exactly. long distance as a way to stay in touch. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And from that, you know, these, these were born in my situation. It came from this fine art context and not really knowing what the hell to do with it. Um, but during that time meeting, you know, my, my wife and work starting to work on them together and the idea of just having these goofy inside jokes between us that sometimes would a character would be born from that then. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was ironic, you know, as, 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 as I found out more about that, but also really cool. So it gave it, it gave this sort of basis, um, that not only were, were these, these weird designer toy things happening, there was specifically these plush that were kind of in that same vein. Although no one talked about designer plush at that point either, mm-hmm. or the idea of that, that kind of plush toy. So what, I mean, where did, how did it, maybe we should compress a little bit more now because we're running out of time, but are we really? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. We're, we're well over an hour into things. So, but, um, so maybe give me more of a, a compressed version of like how the, the progression from there to now, and then maybe we can tackle some of those things yeah. more in depth. Well, um, during that time, it, just realizing that there was this audience, there was this potential to make products and sell them, make plush toys and sell them. There was still one-offs and handmade and so on. But that if we sent a newsletter out to the people that came to our site and signed up for a newsletter because of Daily Candy, like it had an audience. So mm-hmm. there was a chance that, you know, just like some of those like things that... So you started building a... Definitely take for granted now. Like this was the early days. I mean, yeah. you know, I was using like my friend... You know, Jim made this like mailing list thing that I used because it was free on his site or five bucks or something. You know, it was just like, it was like just trying to piece it together with whatever there was, was no available. MailChimp no, then. there definitely was not a MailChimp then. Which you recently did a plush for. Yeah, they're an awesome company. Um, um, so, so that, that kind of thinking and then, you know, jumping ahead to, there's these evolutionary points of reacting um, as as we were kind of growing naturally, we were reacting to the things that were happening. These sort of, I guess, milestones in hindsight. Mm-hmm. So realizing that making them one of a kind was not sustainable, um, especially if there was any like during the summer between semesters. Well, yeah, you can make as many as you possibly want. Mm-hmm. When school starts, that's a different story. When you graduate from school and you go have to, you know, you're figuring out where you're going to move and what you're going to do for a day job, then that becomes trickier. So just thinking about those things and realizing that we could make some characters in multiples, for instance, still by hand, but we don't have to limit it to one. We can limit it to 25 or 50 or a hundred, or even just make them, mm-hmm. you know, as needed. So initially, I, I guess one thing you sort of had to make a choice of are these creations going to exist in like a fine art context Mm -hmm. or are they going to be more of like a for the people (laughs) kind of uh, 
price point because you could have just made one of kind sculptures and let yeah. the market dictate their value. Absolutely. Um, and it's, I think maybe you've done some of that kind of thing also as yeah. time's gone on, but you kind of chose to go down a path of, um, plush toys for the people. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but was there uh debate about that internally? Um, or did it just make sense? It just made sense. Um, it's this weird thing of being your own demographic in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then not also not having, you know, cost of living in central Illinois is great, but you know, I also didn't have a lot of disposable income. So the idea of, I really appreciated what, what, what we, there's a reason I was making it right. As an artist, you're making it work because you really like what you're making. Hopefully. Um, and the same was applying to these plush toys. I liked them. And, um, it was something you would want. It's something I would want. And if I wanted it, <laughs> they needed wanted to be at a certain price. Point. They needed to be about 30 bucks. <laughs> it was about, about what I could deal with. And in some cases, less than that. In a few cases, more than that. But, um, but I think it just came from that. It was just a natural, mm-hmm. it was like, it just made sense. 25 seems like a good price right now. You know? So, so you started Matt, well, multiple producing. Yeah. Still handmade, but Still in handmade. multiples. And were there particular characters that you first did that with? Yeah. The, the Shaunamites, which was this little like village in the, uh, Northwest side, <laughs> Northwest area of, of our world where many versions of Shaunamals lived. And Mr. Demon, that was actually the first point where Mr. Demon came, came out. Um, he wanted to create, he wanted to manufacture a schism in this little village as an experiment. So he created this cavern between these, in the middle of this village, which separated uh, four or five different groups from each other. So there was the corn niblets and the peas, where were the um, lumps and the lump boxes. I don't even remember what those were. <laughs> and then there's the wee devils and the wee ninjas. And so uh, that was so that was the way we like that was the conceptual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were in multiples because they were li- they lived in a village. It was like a, a variety of them. So right. that's where we ninjas came from, um, coincidentally. And then, you know, one of the things that kind of struck me about um, about we ninja, like all the Shanimal stuff. I mean, my introduction was through we ninja, mm-hmm. and. And in a way, that was my introduction to designer toys in general was hmm. through Wee Ninja. Um, compared to other things, it did, the fact that they all had like their little unique character stories mm-hmm. sort of made it seem like I think that's sort of a unique, different thing than what what most people were doing. And I always thought that was an interesting element to it. That there's like a part of a story. It's not it's not like a toy from a movie or a toy from some other thing. It's its own thing. And you're given like just enough to lead you your mind down to like thinking about stuff, mm-hmm. but 
there's also no, it's not fleshed out necessarily. Totally. totally. And that I thought was a really interesting choice. Thanks. That was on purpose. Um, over time, that was on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. Early on, I, early on, it definitely wasn't. Like, why would we call something that we uh, a wee ninja or a wee devil and not like, you know, George, you know, George the ninja or something? Mm-hmm. Um, but what we realized quickly from people emailing us is that they really liked that because it was almost like calling it was like a species. Mm-hmm. It was the wee ninja, and from there they could name it. So they could personify it, and they could they could flesh they name their wee ninja George or whatever exactly, and that's that's a huge difference, and that was super flattering to hear, but it was also really interesting, and and it just only reinforced our thinking mm-hmm. on it. Um, and I I'm I'm always resistant. I mean, Fliggins we got a little bit more specific, and that was as much about us working with uh, our friend Rob as as it was. Um, just a different kind of land. So it almost made sense in some ways to name things a little bit more clearly. But generally speaking, we kind of take this species approach um, to what we do. It's like an adjective and then some sort of word. (laughs) Did at any point, was there any thought about how, I mean, I'm just thinking of this now because of the other stuff that we talked about, um, you know, as the eighties, you know, you had like pound puppies and mm. cabbage patch mm. kids. Mm-hmm. They had a similar kind of kind totally of thing in a way. I was that totally not, but yeah. I'm sure it was subconsciously. It had to be right. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm positive. I had a pound puppy. I don't remember specifically. I, I had my favorite plush toy as a kid was a Kermit Kermit doll that had Velcro on his hands and mm-hmm. feet. And he would like stick all over himself, but that I mean that, but that was Kermit. That was very specific, right? But brilliant, you know. But 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 very specific. So I think I want to I want to really like illustrate that a tiny bit. What we were just talking about of the story. So, um, jumping ahead quite a bit, you you're doing this. One of the things that you do now is a Ninja of the Month Club, mm-hmm. where you do more. Um, are the, these are handmade, right? Those are handmade, yeah. So every month you have a different ninja, um, and people can like subscribe. But yep. These are more like they're limited pieces. Yeah, they're all, they're limited to a hundred pieces per design. So I have one here that is the not so wee ninja from March two thousand ten, and I'm just gonna read the description. It's sort of like a wee ninja that's plump and round, with a full cheek crumbs and there's also a cookie somewhere that i don't have in front of me but i want to read i want to read the description here as an example Uh, it says more sumo than stealth not so can defeat chubby devils by literally throwing his weight around although his dietary habits are not part of old master ninja's training regimen not so insists he's following a disciplined cookie diet he sees a cookie and he eats them. I think it's really kind of interesting that um, it's almost like it's almost like a whole like branding strategy, like the kind. <laughs> I mean, like the kind of language that you like the choice of words, and there's like a certain amount of like humor mm-hmm. usually in there, or like I don't know if I would call it slang necessarily, but there's like a certain like there's like a brand voice, and then. Yeah like the logos and the tags and it, it just seems like 
from the very beginning, I was always impressed by sort of like the whole package of the presentation. Thank you. Like I, I know some of the, um, earlier we ninjas that, that I got, the tags were held on with like a safety pin yeah. and like a red piece of yarn or something. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't yarn though. It was like some kind of special. It was, it was, yeah, that was like a twine. Shirt. Yeah. And I just remember really being like impressed by the, the exact material choice or something. You know what I yeah. mean? It was like the specific kind of safety pin and it was the specific like kind that's of, that's probably, I don't know if that's my personality or art school again, mm-hmm. you know, coming back to the idea of, thinking about the material choice, thinking about every square inch of the canvas or whatever the medium is and, and being purposeful about having some sort of basis for, Mm. for a decision. But even like having those story kind of elements and then having this like larger kind of world and having that clearly illustrated with your website. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just seems, it seems like, um, seems like you really got your stuff together. So how did, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at what point did you... So it's taken 10 years. For, right. You know. So I mean, I guess that's part of it is yeah. that this is like a, something you've really focused on for that period of time. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like developed. Naturally, it's it's really developed naturally. I mean, it's it's being, it's having awareness um, and, and actively thinking about things as you're doing them and then um, reacting and remembering and just trying to be cohesive. What, I mean, at you a know, certain if, point though, it turn it turns into like a business, it's a business absolutely. and you start having to make all these very like business type decisions. And I yeah. think there's probably, uh, which was a very redundant pair of sentences, but uh, I think a lot of people have that problem making that transition of I'm creating this interesting thing to making uh, like building into a business that's not then dragged down and destroyed by that. Yeah. So the idea of, of our focus changing from designing characters that are fun and funny uh, and cute or weird or something to making a product that is for sale. And that's the singular focus. And, and that's and something we've still always retaining the thing that made it happen in the first place. Well, we always try to, to strike a balance. So, there's Ninja of the Month, and, and, and Ninja of the Month came out of necessity uh, as much as it is um, just what we love to do. So the necessity part of Ninja of the Month is we can't afford to have things produced in a factory right now. We just don't have the money. But we still want to make new stuff, and we love making stuff by hand. So how can we, how can we make something in-house but have it be sustainable? You know, because we knew we couldn't, we we've been down that road years ago, um, with realizing that if we made too many of these things, then it 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 just it's just not going to work for us right. with the small team that we have. And likewise, we learned from the year prior to Ninja of the Month with the Fliggins project. As much as we absolutely loved it, we did sell product, but it wasn't profitable enough like we didn't break even on certain ones Mm -hmm. so that was so it's like this balance between business decisions and what we love creatively and ninja of the month was was the perfect balance of those things how how is it that you find yourself able to manage both because creative and business right and this is something i've been thinking about a lot personally of like i always hated 
this idea of like left brain people and right brain. Like it always drives me crazy. Yeah. Cause I feel like, well, I, I want to be both. I can't, you have both Absolutely. left and right brain. <laughs> there's a, there's a book about this very thing. Uh, I, I, the, if I could remember the name of it, I would be smarter, but, um, I, I just borrowed it from a friend. I just started reading it. But they they talk about that very thing. Like, not only is it scientifically, biologically impossible not to use. I mean, you have to use both <laughs> sides of your brain, of course. But the thinking is that although some people obviously can be more analytical or left-brained, whereas others can be more free thinkers and right-brained, um, in, inevitably there's a lot more uh, in, interaction between the two sides than people ever realize. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It, it it's for for me it's a balance for sure and it's not always successful i mean there's times i'll go weeks and weeks with just focusing on business stuff um that's usually because there's a project coming up you know like it just needs my attention in that way and by the end of it i'm usually a pretty grumpy bastard um and it's not like the you know like the troubled artist soul or anything it's just like you know if 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 you enjoy something very much and it's, and it's as much about who you are and then you're not able to do it for a, a certain amount of time, it's like mm-hmm. you just, you would wish you could go do that, you know? And then usually what happens is when I do get into the studio or just are able to do something strictly creative, I mean, it could be sketching something in a, in my notebook. It could be write, writing words down like concepts for a new character in new lands. It doesn't even necessarily have to be visual. But that is just an automatic release, and I almost always feel better. How do you discipline yourself or schedule your own like creative output? I mean, it seems like mm. certain things, like having a ninja of the month, gives you like set parameters. Absolutely. Like, well, every month, I have to make a new ninja character, yeah. and I have to do all these certain things that go along with that. Yeah, and we have. A, I mean, we have a you know six week six week plan, mm-hmm. so it overlaps every month. I mean, and, we, this, you know, and this is a full-time job for you and your wife? Yeah, and we have two employees. Okay. So a lot of the branding, I mean, we all work together as a team, but um, so there's uh, me, Jen, Eric, and Monty. So Eric is our graphic designer, and then Monty is our production designer. So Monty and Jen work on all of our handmade stuff. I mean, Jen also does, like, payroll and, you know, office management type stuff, um, ships our orders, deals with customer service issues. Do you have a office that you yes. work out of? Yes, we do. Okay. Um, it's down uh, on Damon, north of the United Center, in a big warehouse. We have a small space in the big warehouse. Right. But, um, so, I mean, you know, without without us working as a team, it wouldn't work now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're at a point now where we absolutely have to have that kind of help. And let's give a rundown of what like the current offerings are you mm-hmm. you do there are a certain number of um like mass produced plush toys mm-hmm. like classic sort of things, yeah so like we've the we ninja and mustachio mustache yeah and things like that you also do um like blind box yeah so we do licensed products with uh we have a series with kid robot we have a series with squibbles uh rotofuji which is our micro plush and our zipper charms. Uh, so for those things, they basically, it's licensed from you. Yeah. So okay. we give them, we give them a license to make a certain kind of product or and products. Then, and then are you very involved in yes. the execution of those licenses? Yeah. Um, 
licenses are a weird thing. And I think traditionally, especially in mainstream, the companies are, there's a lot of different kinds of involvement. Some companies are just approval basis. You know, like they, the, the company you give the license to does all the creative and then you just like sign off on it or, or have them make changes and then sign off on it. Um, which is weird. And we've been in situations where it's been more like that. And it, it's, it's not that it's bad because there's a lot of talented people out there that can get it. Um, but in other cases, it's, uh, it isn't as good, but it's a learning experience. However, it plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd like to be more involved. Not not um, micromanagers or anything like that. We love. We just really just like protecting your brand. Well, we're protecting the brand. But we also like collaborating with people that are doing cool things. Mm-hmm. So we had a great experience working on our DS game with the game developer in Connecticut. Um, so much so that we then worked with them directly on our iPhone game. So it's the same developer. So there's a Ninja Town, a Nintendo DS game mm-hmm. called Ninja Town. Called Ninja Town, and that came out. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, now, right? it came out in the end of 2008. It really kind of hit its stride in 2009. So, and um, and then more recently, there's the Ninja Town Trees of Doom mm-hmm. that came out for in iOS May. devices. Is it only on iOS devices, or is it on? Uh, right now, platforms? it's just iOS. Yeah, unfortunately, we we'd love to see it on Android, but it's a tricky business when we're, when you're self-publishing. It's a tricky business because mm-hmm. it's not just a, it's not a direct port. So um, it needs to be redone for the Android platform as well as then ports for the various handsets. So it's it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So just like the development of that. Yeah. So Venon, Venon, who, who is the developer of that, they they do great work, and they're they are a, a bona fide development studio with a lot a lot of employees, um, and they do great work. But what comes with that? is real world prices it's not like a couple guys in a garage who can bang this out and not pay themselves i mean they have a staff and they have responsibilities so when it used to be they sold video games for like 30 40 50 bucks a pop yeah exactly now they're two bucks <laughs> yeah but they still cost as much or more to make you know so they're making up for it in volume right yeah yeah but it's a balance so we're it will come out on android eventually and, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll probably do additional games so, so, and then there's also like stickers and patches and things yeah. like buttons. Yeah. Um, so there's, yeah, there's like the merchandise type stuff as well as the, yeah. And all that, all that's like, you know, patches and buttons and stickers and right. t-shirts and so on. But then, then there's the handmade stuff too. So the video game stuff, you feel like at this point, that's almost more like developing even more brand recognition than totally the other stuff. Yeah. And how absolutely. do you see, how do you see that just based on like, how do I know that? Or, yeah. um, well, when we do shows like a, like a New York comic con or C2E2, especially we'll see that very, very directly with people coming up, like saying, mm-hmm. Oh, from, you know, trees of doom or from my oh, iPhone they have toys game. from the video game. Exactly. And we're fine with that because if that's the gateway, Mm-hmm. Then we'll fill in the blanks. You know, we we have a big world to to show them, and and, and people then can kind we'll of get lucky, like, and maybe they'll like it. Because there's probably some people that are really into the the plush toys and don't care about the game. It's kind of interesting yeah. that it's like people can go in, like choose their own level of obsession. Absolutely, <laughs> no, it's perfect. I I absolutely love that. Um, 
and it's flattering on, on, on any level, but the idea is that we just put this stuff out there. So like, I don't know, maybe other business people would look at that, at the way we do things. And sometimes we'll just do a design, put it in the character archives and it's not a product mm-hmm. or it's not a product yet. Maybe we don't mind doing that. I mean, we're, we're designing these things anyway, and we're just going to put them up and then maybe they'll turn into something that's cooler and bigger or other cases they'll just be a singular thing and that will be the extent of it you know i mean just populating a world it's not really it's not a bad thing to do right so what what are the what's the future of shanimals like what are the 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 aspirational um the games showed us that especially the ds game but even the iphone game as as simple as it is it showed us that people respond in such a different way to it, like interacting or controlling the characters in their world. Um, with the DS game, because we had, we had like these little vignettes between levels and there were like a lot of different characters that you could control and interact with and enemies you could battle. So people got into the mythology without us even explaining it to them. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they just got deeper, you know, and they, they, I mean, so that game came and went, right? Um, relatively quick shelf life. Wish it would have gone on longer. Wish we could have had a sequel, but we still have people asking for a sequel now, and it's and it's a you know it's basically out of print at this mm-hmm. point. So it's amazing to me. Like it's not only a testament to the quality of the game, but it's also a testament to the characters and the storyline. Uh, coincidentally, Rob, who we worked with on the Fliggins project, co-wrote the dialogue for the DS game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really, it's awesome to see that, but we also realize that that is, that's the future. It's not, not even specifically games, but the idea of games and animation. So it's to really allow people to become immersed in our world. The difference is when you do things like games and animation is you are fleshing it out a lot more than a little plush toy with a 40 word tag. Right. Um, so we are going to lose, there will definitely be something lost in the translation, I think, but there will be a lot more gained lost in the translation because it's not left to people's imagination. Yeah, there will, there will always be that. And now that I'm saying this, I realize that there is a, there's this inherent flaw in my logic because it's the very thing that inspired me when I was a kid is what I'm talking about. Because there's always more, there's always more. And, and if there isn't, implied more there is created more mm-hmm. and i think that's where imagination comes in i mean so they, i take back everything i said <laughs> it's fine <laughs> i think you know the interesting through line of all of these expressions of the characters is the character design mm-hmm. and some aspect of storytelling whether it's vague or more specific and fleshed mm-hmm. out. And so then it, it kind of becomes figuring out like what form of communication do you want to use to tell that? Yeah. So it, I mean, it's interesting and I'm sure, you know, it's, you don't have to take a very far leap to be like, well, he's, he was inspired by video games. He mm-hmm. worked for a video game magazine. He ended up making a video game with these, like there's kind of like logic there. Yeah. I know you've also, dabbled with like comic book stuff occasionally or even on the site there's like um 
Ninja Town. Oh, the Life strips, in Ninja Town comic. Like, yeah, like that's a more recent like that. Recent um, thing. You know, I'm I'm sure. I mean, the possibilities are limitless as far yeah. as like the different kinds of mediums and uh, things you could explore of like um, longer form, like comic books or movies or animation or like all that yeah. kind of stuff. So I guess that's where I wonder how you kind of like know where to, where to focus. Yeah. And it's about, I mean, it kind of comes back to what you're saying is like, it's content, right? So I think we live in a time now, um, maybe like this idea of transmedia that exists now in a lot of art schools is it, uh, it didn't exist when I, at least not where I went to school, the idea that you could, you didn't have to choose a medium. Mm-hmm. You just kind of, do anything that interests you as long as the content is there. Right. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's what it's about here is we have this, um, this content that we've developed, but how that's represented can be anything because the core content is the same. And I also think that, that from our fan standpoint, we can do multiple things. Some that are limited and handmade and special and some that are, um, really just Unlimited kind of limited and unhandmade and special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and less special and, and, and a 99 cent button or, or, or an iPhone game that is almost completely out of context in some respects. Um, it almost creates its own little world that people can interact with that's separate from ours. Like, like you had said, like they, it's a toy from the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, we're just being, we're we're fairly clear like we you know there's a lot of transparency at you know with what we do and this thing is that and you can appreciate it as such we're not going to try to trick you and then this thing is that and maybe you'll like that too or maybe you'll only like that thing mm-hmm. and that's fine but i think it's just that just putting it out there and just always making sure that the common thread is about the character and the story you know on some level and then people can take it wherever they need to from there well that's great thanks for uh talking with me yeah it's been it's been fun man this Uh, is a great format thanks it's a little chaotic but takes you places you wouldn't normally end up right yeah well that's thinking exactly (laughs) if if anyone's ever watched charlie rose they understand that (laughs) right um so just to recap for people that renegade craft fair september 10th 11th you think your booth won 180 11 a.m 7 p.m division street in wicker park it's free also visit shanimals.com or ninjatown.com is that right yep and uh i think that's about it so i i like to finish the podcast by giving the guest the last word so you have to say something just profound or amazing like whatever no pressure and (laughs) then we go to the music so and go mustachio is a mustache with a mustache